Amen. God bless you this morning. It's still morning. Amen. We don't have children's church today. This is the month where children's ministry prepares for the classes, but um, do you have nursery? No nursery. Fantastic. We're all here cozy today on a cold morning. Amen. In uh, a Sunday morning. I want to share with you um, something that I shared at our last servants retreat. And um, Pastor Jay and I, we are going to be starting a series talking about our culture and the culture of our church, very specifically. So what I want to do today is I really want to uh, start with the introduction, which is what we shared at the leaders' retreat, or part of what we shared at the leaders' retreat, so that we're all uh, on the same page with regards to culture and what culture means to us. So I want to talk about Jesus as our culture maker. Um, and I'm going to be uh, just referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. How many of you know that this is a challenging church? And that um, we... Everything that we do is meant to t challenge you spiritually in the Lord. Um, we're not here to maintain a group of, of religious people, and we're not here to um, just have really feel-good moments, which we have many of those. But really, this church is a church who um, will challenge you to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to know more of God, if you want to get into the Word, this is the place for you. If you're not interested in any of those things, well, you know. But that's what we're all about. And so I'm, I want to read out of 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, and it says, uh, we read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this is Paul speaking. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Okay? So this is Paul speaking. He's talking about culture here. And so as we begin to talk about culture, we want to, first of all, what is the definition of culture? Um, and I, I wrote it down and now I can't find it in my paperwork. How do you like that? How do you like that? You know I always have a definition. Google, yes. You're going to ask me to Google. I wrote it down somewhere. Well, now, now I'm going to challenge you to look it up for yourselves because now I can't find where I put culture. But it has to do with our mores and it has to do with the things that we believe in. It, it has to do with um, the things that we practice and the things that we hold dear. And that becomes part of our culture. And so I want to talk about Jesus and the fact that um, as we read the gospel and we see a picture of Jesus, 
we see a picture of, of first, a, a child that is born. We see someone who spoke Aramaic in his home, but Hebrew at the synagogue. And so we see someone who was able to enjoy family life and be a part of doing life. See, he did life. The scripture tells us that, listen, he went to weddings. He went to dinner parties. He went to socials, you know. He did life. But in all his doing of life, it never changed who he was and what he was here to accomplish. And it was to become a culture maker, setting culture for all of us. You know, there, was, there were things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said that some of us, we read the gospel, we say, oh, my goodness, I would never do that. I would never say that. And, and one of the things would be that he called his mother woman. And so we would say, wow, you know, in our culture today, we say, how disrespectful you call your mother woman. But if, if we're looking at the word, and I hope you're following the scriptural reading that we're doing, because you did this chapter already. How's that? Genesis chapter 2, when God is telling Adam, you know, uh, uh, takes uh, Eve out of his rib and says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So when Jesus is calling his mother, no, I'm, I'm telling you to think outside the box here. When Jesus is calling his mother woman, he's saying, you're part of me and I'm part of you. I, I don't think that's very disrespectful, but it's all in the context that we hear things. And so thinking of, of the scripture and bringing it to life tells us that Jesus was here for a specific purpose. See, the religious men and women of the day had started to deviate from what God's intent was. And so 10 commandments became 518 laws and rules that they could not fulfill. So you had to, you had to know 518 rules that you had to accomplish in order to feel that you were a good Jewish person. And here, God gave us 10 commandments, you know. And so the scripture speaks to us of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. And what was the purpose of John the Baptist? He's a man who lived relatively isolated life. They were distantly related, about six months apart, you know, in age. And um, the scripture tells us in Mark chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Mark chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 tells us, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. So he didn't, he didn't go out to anyone. Everyone came to him, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed, the scripture tells us, with the camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Now you'd be thinking, locusts, eating locusts on a regular basis. I don't see myself doing that. But yet here today, that's like a delicacy. No, I, no, I will not eat locusts. But I'm sure that there's somewhere around the world people are spending um, a good amount of money purchasing locusts for a meal, okay? And so that is what he kept at his diet. And the scripture tells us in John chapter 1, verse 23, that um, John would say, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So if he's saying make straight the way of the Lord, that means the way of the Lord was not straight. 
Because if it's straight, he won't be telling us to make it straight. So somewhere, like I was telling you, there was a deviation from the straight path. These are the things that we need to stay focused on in order for us to get to the end of our, of our goal, to reach the goal that God has set for us, which is eternal life. These are the things we have to do. We deviated. We branched out. And it only takes a little of the branching out for us to lose our way. I have terrible sense of direction. Absolutely. Ter- I, I get lost in Bethlehem every single time I go to Bethlehem. I don't know what it is. Abby will tell you right here, I get lost in Walmart. For some reason, I always go, Abby, no, she laughs at me about this. Every single time I go to Walmart, I wind up in that little thing that doesn't have a way out. I have no idea why I continue to do that, but I do that, and as I'm doing it, I say, this, why do I keep coming through here when I know there's no way out here? There's no exit. Why not just doing circles there? And so I know that it doesn't take much for us to get deviated from God's intent for our lives. And so he says, listen, I'm here to, to, I'm the voice. I'm just one voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He was making a way for your not-so-typical cultural maker. So he was making a way for Jesus who was going to really break a lot of the old mindsets that had established themselves to take us away from God's original intent and plan for mankind. And so a true culture maker is seeking the expansion of God's kingdom. That's what we're focused on, expanding the kingdom, not growing their own personal kingdom. This will tell you who's a culture maker. Okay? A culture maker is very focused. And so as, as Pastor Gabe was saying this morning about coming here and I, I'm always looking at this, this stained glass all the time. And I realized that um, Martha, right? Martha was the one that was cooking and doing everything, right? Martha um, really was about Martha. And everything she was doing was because she wanted to look good for Jesus. Think about that. It it wasn't so much of, I really want to prepare him a nice meal and I want the table to look nice. It was about, this table is going to reflect me. And so this is, again, it's all about me. And this is the day and age that we're living in where everything is about me. I have to have a good time. I have to want to do this. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. We, you know, we have these, these um, ideals for ourselves of the things that will make us happy. And we think that everything that is going to make us happy is within us. And I've come to understand that what makes me happy is very temporary. What I need is the joy of the Lord. Happiness, you're happy today and sad tomorrow. Joy, the joy of the Lord is a continuous feeling that is within you that continues to bubble up and grow and it just sustains you in the midst of difficult times and difficult trials that's joy the joy of the lord it just doesn't get extinguished so we have to pray for the joy of the lord here are some lessons that i've learned from jesus as our culture maker jesus is a cultivator so what is a cultivator a cultivator is a person who prepares the land for planting. Prepares the land for planting. So everything that we do here in this church is with the intention of preparing the land 
for planting. What are we planting? Souls. We're planting souls for Christ. So everything we do has to be a reflection of that. I'm building God's kingdom and not my own. And that means that what I do, I have to do with joy. Because if I can't do it with joy, then I'm doing it with happiness when I'm happy. And then that, like I told you, is not sustainable. Happiness is not sustainable. So we have to want to do things with joy, the joy of the Lord, knowing that everything that we do is with an intention and a purpose is to cultivate ground. Cultivate ground for the building of God's kingdom, not my own and not Pastor Jay. We are so past that. Jesus, um, we can see, like I told you, he went to weddings, he went to funerals. He, he had a, a, a career. He, he learned a skill, which was carpentry. And I am always taken by the fact that God will have us do things that somewhere down the line will challenge us. You know, he takes us in directions. Now, just, just think about that. You know, he's, he grows up in a carpenter's home. He could have grown up in anybody else's home. Why a carpenter's home? And he, he has to learn to live with, handle the very instrument that will be his death. See? And so we, as human beings, God challenges us and puts us in positions and in jobs. And we think, oh, you know, I'm in this job because I'm, I'm having a good time. But God puts us very strategically, in, even into places that we work with divine purposes. See? And we want to leave, and we can't leave. That ever happened to you? You're in a job, and you're like, oh, I just can't stand the hours. I can't stand the people I work with, you know? You know, you, you're de dealing with difficult people. I, let me tell you, my, 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 uh, my secret, I used to go to work really early when no one was there. And those difficult people I had to work with, I would anoint the desk in a corner. I would throw myself on their desk and ask the Lord to change them. Lord, change them or move them out. Change them or move them out. And let me tell you, that, that works. You might be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I was always praying for the area that I worked. And I'll tell you one thing. Where I prayed, no one spoke with filthy language. There was no filthy language. The minute I left that place, I started getting emails from coworkers. You got to come back. Ever since you left, everybody's flinging the dirty words around here. Wherever you are, God will be there to bless See? And so he places us strategically in places that are going to challenge us. So you tell me, Jesus, knowing that he will die on the cross, is dealing with wood from a very early age. That will probably be the last thing I want to handle. That will probably be the last thing I want to work with, is the very thing that in the future will become my death. See? And yet God is showing us through Jesus that you're going to be in difficult places. But you can be a culture maker where you're at and you can change the environment of where you are. Changing environments. And so Jesus, we see him through all his life doing life. I hope that you took our time to do life this past year. We're still doing life. We're always going to be doing life here. But I hope you took out the time to do life. Because Jesus had an interesting way of doing life. He would go to the homes of Pharisees and religious men. He would go to the homes of sinners. And, and you know what was the wonderful thing about Jesus? He always took a plus one. 
You know, wherever he went, he would go into the homes of these religious leaders and he'd take a sinner with him. And I'm sure the Pharisees are like, say, what? You're walking into my house and you're bringing who? You know, that kind of thing. What's up with that? I don't remember inviting them, but if I want you, I'm going to have to tolerate them. You know, that kind of thing. So here he, he broke, he broke the, 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 the mold and he said, listen, if, if you want my presence to be with you, then you're going to have to accept not only my presence, but those that I carry with me. And he would bring the sinners to teach lessons, to challenge the religious men of the day. Really, in, in the gospel, you always saw Jesus doing the right thing at the right time. There was probably this one incident at the age of 12 when he kind of disappeared from his parents and stayed in the temple. For, they were looking for him th- for three days. Every time I read that chapter in the scripture, I say, how can you walk away, you know, for three days and not realize he's gone? How do you just walk with a bunch of people? And, like, I, I am such a hawk with my kids when they were little, and even now they're in their 30s, and I'm always looking, where are they? You know? And so I can't picture walking from one village to another and at a distance of days and not even noticing my kid isn't there. Like, how does that happen? Then when they realize it, they're trying to backtrack and trying to find him and walking all over the place looking for him, and there he is sitting in the temple, and they're like, what are you doing? You know, and, and, and he says to them, well, I'm, I'm doing my father's business. And, and I, as, I'm, as I'm reading this about Jesus as the culture make, maker, I realized that at the age of 12, he thought he was a man. See, because the Jewish uh, culture has them doing their bar mitzvahs and all that at an early age. So they become a man when they're able to fulfill their bar mitzvah. So he probably said, listen, I'm a man. I'm over here in the temple. I'm doing my father's business. What of it? You know? And so that's the only incident we see in the Bible. But even that incident could be explained if we're thinking of the culture of the day. So he may have seen himself as a, as a young man at the age of 12. He was a cultivator of culture. He spent prime years of his life absorbing, practicing, passing on his culture. Not preaching, not healing, not introducing dramatic innovations. But what was he doing? He was challenging the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. So that was number one, Jesus as cultivator. Number two, Jesus as creator. Okay. Mark chapter one speaks to us, and, and all the four gospel writers, they stress Jesus' innovative teachings, the way that he taught the multitudes. You know, he always said, they said, oh, he must have been a farmer because everything that he spoke about had to do with farming and reaping and sowing and, and harvest, and, and, and yet he wasn't. But he used what was necessary to bring a teaching to the people of the day. Jesus, uh, his words encompass more than just sentences or, or teachings of uh, uh, morals. His, his, everything that he taught had a spiritual back round to it. It had a spiritual connotation to it. It was for a purpose for us to grow spiritually, those of us that are reading it today. They didn't have Bibles in the day. We are fortunate that we're able to read the scripture and we're able to go back and see the things that Jesus did and the things that he said. He changed what mealtime was like. You know, mealtime in his day was, okay, if you sit at this table, you're in. If you don't sit at this table, you're out. And he challenged that when he brought people to the table that shouldn't have been there. 
in the minds of the people of the day. And so we're even challenging you in that aspect in meals and say, we challenge you to go out of the box and invite someone to share a meal with you that you typically do not spend time with. Get out of your circle and break bread with someone other than your little circle of influential friends. We challenge you to do that. And it's all about, you know, like Jesus didn't just go there to break down walls. He went there to enhance what was already there. And in the weeks to come, we're going to be having much more teachings on this. And um, in, in my next message, I'm going to be talking about the differences between tearing down and enhancing, you know. And so uh, I want us to, to think about that when we, as we go about these next couple of weeks, I want us to think about ourselves as cultivators. Think of ourselves as creators. What are we bringing to enhance what God is already doing? Pastor Jay and I, we've had a lot of conversation about the culture of our church. And, you know, we've, we've pastored uh, this church for 20 years. Uh, two years, I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was 22 or 23, I've lost track, 23 years. And in all of those years, we've noticed that there has been a subtle move away from our church culture. And so it has been something that we've been bringing before the Lord and praying about and saying, God, we're, we're losing something as we move away from the culture of our church. We're losing some things. We're losing foundation. And one of the things that Jesus did was that he brought clarity to what he taught men. He brought clarity to the scripture, constantly teaching the word of God, the correct word of God. Not just words that people had heard through religious leaders, but the original intent that God had for his word, Jesus was teaching that. And so one of, one of the things that Jesus stressed so much with these Pharisees and Sadducees you know, it was about accountability. And them, uh, them being the religious leaders of the day, being held accountable for the things that they did and said, for the life that they live. And there's a great responsibility to being a leader. And so even in this church, a smaller group as we are, there's a responsibility to leadership here. And it is that we are accountable to God. We need to be accountable to God. And the word has to be our foundation. There can be no other way. The Sermon on the Mount is a, is a great case study in how Jesus moved between the possibilities and the impossibilities of life. And you heard it said, he said, he, he reinforced God's original intent for the commandments. What was God's original intent? We deviated from it and said, well, you know, you commit adultery. I'll give you an example. You commit adultery if you lay with someone who's not your wife or your husband, then you've committed adultery. Jesus says, this is the original intent of God. And I'm God and I'm telling you the original intent. The original intent is if you have a thought in your mind that is lustful toward another a woman or a man in this day and age, then you've committed adultery with the thought, not even the action, but the thought. Like, you're like, wow, that was the original intent. And so if you notice, we lukewarm, we, I'm sorry, we've, we've watered down quite a bit of God's commandments and his original intents because we, we have to make it comfortable for the people. We do. 
I'm not only talking about here, I'm talking about outside of these doors too. We need to make it comfortable for people, which is why we're seeing in our day and age the laws of the land that was set forth and the laws of the land were set forth taking into mind the Bible. See, if you go and you go and look at, at some of the laws of the land, they, they're closely connected to the commandments. Thou shalt not kill. What happens if you murder someone in this land? You go to jail. See? So there, there are things that are tightly connected. But now we find that we are watering down even the laws of this land because we have to make groups of people comfortable in the land. So we want to make people comfortable and we stop thinking about what is God thinking and what was God's original intent when he created these laws for us. You know, if you're, if you're following the reading plan, you're going to be going into these books of, uh, of Deuteronomy and uh, Numbers and you're going to be seeing a lot of the laws that God intended with a purpose to teach us the right path for us to go. So the law is important. It helps set for us the standard. I know that you hear all the time, well, Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. We don't have to do the law anymore. We don't have to concern ourselves with the law anymore. We need to concern ourselves with knowing the law because the law is the standard that we live by. The law teaches us how to come before God. The law teaches us how to bring offerings before the Lord. The law teaches us how, to, how we act with one another. The law teaches us how do we act with our spouses. So there's, there's a lot of things in the law that is important for us to know. We can't just disregard it and say, oh, Jesus fulfilled it, so I don't have to pay attention anymore. He brought completeness to it. Okay? He didn't destroy the law. He brought completeness to the law. Right? Everybody's getting what I'm saying? Yeah? Everybody's with me? All right. So what Jesus did was that he looked at what man has started deviating, and he started enhancing it. Because whatever God touches, he enhances. He grows it and he develops it. And he began to enhance relationship with us and God, the Father. He said, listen, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No one comes to the Father if not by me. That's scripture. And so we had that opportunity to enhance relationship. No longer do I have to go through a high priest, but now I can go directly to God and I can pray to God. He hears me and answers me. That's an enhancement of what I was taught. And some of us have, have been taught in, in some of the, uh, the religions of the day where, you know, the priest did that. You went to the priest and the priest prayed to God. And, you know, and I remember this from when my uncle passed away. We had to pay this amount of money to get these amount of prayers. And we, you know, if you want to get him out of purgatory a little sooner, then you pay this amount of money. And they did these prayers. And, I mean, it was just so convoluted, you know. And so now we're learning that we can go directly to God with our prayers and our needs and our woes and our cares and the things that bring joy to our life. We can bring that before God and be thankful for that. See? And so it is so important for us to remember the culture that's set for this church because that culture has also been put in place to keep us as much as possible on the narrow path to keep us focused and to keep us connected to God. 
And so that's the challenge that we have right now and we're experiencing right now is how can we change our current culture that is shifting away from our foundations? How can we change our current culture outside that is uh, shifting us away from our foundations? What are the foundations that the church was, was, was built on? Those of you that were here the longest. Praise, worship, the word, prayer. Prayer is a huge aspect of this church. You know, we would have wonderful prayer services where, you know, we had, we had a good attendance. People understood the importance of prayer. And we've shifted. Listen, there's nothing more than me speaking truth to you, and I'm speaking truth to you today. We've shifted. Where, where, you know, we've, we've had some friend ministers who've told us that they've shifted prayer out of their sanctuary and they've shifted it into a little room because less and less and less people are interested in prayer. So they've delegated a small group of people to be responsible for the prayer of the whole congregation. See? And I told Pastor Jay, we had this conversation, we said, even if we're sitting in this sanctuary that holds how many? 600 people? If, well, if we use the balcony, it's more. I said, even if we have the whole prayer service in this sanctuary with five people, we're doing it. Because we're not removing prayer from the sanctuary. And you have to be able to see the importance and the need of prayer in your life. You know, I know somebody's going to tell me, well, I pray every day. There is something that is, is present in prayer, a congregational prayer, when we come together that totally will outshine what you do on your own. And it is because the coming together as a congregation, as a body in Christ, and praying shakes up the heavens. It shakes up. Where you can come here and have a prayer request and a petition request, and you know that your petition will be answered because of prayer. See? The the importance and the value of prayer. Yesterday I was listening to... um, this interview with uh, the great-granddaughter of Smith Wigglesworth, see? And, you know, the, the host was asking her questions about her great-grandfather, and he said, you know, what, what was the secret of your great-grandfather's power? Everybody wanted to know, how was it that, you know, Smith Wigglesworth could speak to someone for five minutes and they healed? You know, how, how did that happen? How did, you know, the dead rise? How did all that happen? And she said, she said he did three things. One, the only thing he ever read was the Bible. And I remember hearing uh, uh, Summerall, Lester Summerall, saying one time that he went to visit we, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, and he had a newspaper under his arm, right? And he was walking into his house, and Smith Wigglesworth stopped him at the door and said, that's not coming in my house. And so Lester Summerall had to leave the newspaper behind, right, on the stoop. And he went in. But one thing was, these are the three things. He only read the Bible. We're starting right now with the, the, the scriptural reading congregationally. Get on board because it's going to help you. Two, she said that he had holy communion every day. Communion with the Lord every day. And three, he had a love for the Holy Spirit. Those were the three things that gave Smith Wigglesworth 
the power that he would go in a train and he would be sitting there in a train and everyone in that train was coming to him asking for prayer for salvation. Listen, what draws men to, 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 uh, to you would be the power of God in your life. They see something in you that they don't see anywhere else. It's the power of God in your life. And so she was talking about these, these miracles that would happen, these things that you're like, how, did this, how does this happen? And one of the things that, that she mentioned was that her grandfather taught them, great-grandchildren through his life, taught them the importance of prayer and trusting God. The importance of prayer and trusting God. Our children, they need to know what prayer is. We come to prayer, we leave our kids home. Playing, uh, you know, Playstations and all this other stuff. It's time to teach our children because you're putting a weapon in their hand that's going to help them in times of difficulty. Okay? Do you honestly think that you're always going to be around to pray them out of something? Oh, I'll always be here. I'm never going to die, baby. I'm going to be here forever. Anything you need, I'm going to be here to pray for you. That's not being realistic. You need to teach your children and give them the tools so that they also can be able to pray to God on their own. Okay? So that's one of the things. Prayer in this house. We're never going to delegate that anywhere else because prayer belongs in the sanctuary. When we pray in the sanctuary, it fills God's house with his presence. He says, wow, these people really want me to be present here today, and I'm going to make myself known. Prayer is so important. The word, that's our foundation for everything. The word. We give, we give Bible study here Wednesdays. And, and it, 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 you know, sometimes I wish I had a dollar for every time this happened because I would absolutely be a millionaire by now. Is that, you know, people don't show up to Bible study and they're struggling with the things that we're addressing in Bible study. And then so here they're, they're struggling with issues and they have all these questions, you know. And if you just came to Bible study, your answers would be, your questions would be answered. But we don't come to Bible study. And you know that you don't study the Bible at home on your own. Let me look over here. I'm looking at the wall. I'm not looking at nobody else. Let's be real. How often do you pick up the Bible to study it by yourself at home if there's not somebody there to motivate you? This is why the scripture says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there will I be. Because you need somebody else to motivate you. See, we're doing congregational Bible uh, 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 scripture. Get motivated. Get into the swing of it. See, as we've been reading the Bible, Pastor Jay, I think he's like on four different Bible reading things. But as we're reading the word, and he's reading it, he's in other books of the Bible. But as, as we're reading the word, I've, I've had to go back and look and say, wow. I, I hadn't noticed this in chapter 2 of Genesis. So I, I totally missed this in the 100 times that I may have read this chapter. I, I've missed this. And so the word of God is a living word every single time that you read it. <laughs> For those that I just woke up right now. Uh, every single time you read the word of God, you are going to get something new out of it. Every single. I, I challenge you, if you, if you want to test this, Read the same chapter for a week. Every time you read that chapter, you're going to say, oh, I missed this. Oh, I didn't see this. Oh, because it's a living word. And so we're shifting from the things that are our foundation, our Bible study, you know, our, our, our word, you know. Our, don't even get me started 
on things like the, the most foundational holidays. We're going to call them holidays for lack of something else. Days of observance that we have in the Christian faith. And what days are those? What days are those that are the most important for us in our Christian faith? Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Don't even get me started. We, you know, it becomes days of me. You know that? Those became, those became days of me. It's my Good Friday. I may have off. I may get a good sale. It's my Easter. You know, I have to cook the big old ham. It's my Christmas. I'm still wrapping gifts to the last moment. It's my, they've become our days of observance. They have no longer become the days of God. I mean, as a child, I've told you this before, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents did not come to the Lord till I was 18 years old. I started going to church when I was five, right? And in those 13 years, the, the church that I attended was developing culture within me. And one of those things was, I could not see myself not showing up at Good Friday. I could not see myself a believer of Christ. I'm not talking about just me or Margie. I'm talking about a Christian follower of Christ. I could not see myself not showing up at Good Friday and saying, Lord, I'm present. I absolutely understand this sacrifice that you've done. There's no way in a million years that I could pay what you've done for me. I'm looking at that stained glass back there. There's no way in a million years that I could pay what you've done for me. But I tell you one thing, I'm going to remember you every year. And I'm going to let people know the seriousness of my commitment to you. And the seriousness of my commitment is what I share with my friends and my family. See? This, this Christmas uh, week, before Christmas, I love the food channel. Not that I could make any of those things. But I, it looks so easy. I like to watch it, you know. I like the food channel. I like that home and whatever it is it's called, home and style or whatever it is. I don't know. And so in, in one of those programs, I just have it running. I'm not really paying attention. All of a sudden, I'm hearing a non-believer, a non-Christian making these comments. I'm hosting Christmas Eve dinner at my house this year. And a group of the people that are coming to my house, they go to church every year at 5 o'clock. And I went. And they go to church every year at 5 o'clock. So what I told them to do was, no problem, you go to your service, you go do what you have to do, I'll be here when you get back. And I'm thinking, that's a secular person telling Christians, you go to church and do what you have to do, and I'll be here. He's not a believer. But where should Christians be on Christmas Eve? I'm going to look over here on the wall. I know it's not the day that Jesus was born, and you know it as well. He was born in the spring. But it's the day that we come together, not only our church, but as a body of Christ, and say, we will not let anyone forget the birth of our Savior. Even if it has to be me, the only church. When I was a kid, every church was open Christmas Eve. To thank God in service. Do you remember that or am I just too old? Who remembers that? Right? Every church, you would drive down and all you would see were churches open. Now it's, well, can you do that Christmas Eve service on a day that's not Christmas Eve? 
First it was, can you do it on a day that's not Christmas Day? Okay, let's move from Christmas Day to Christmas Eve. Well, can you do it now on a day that's not Christmas Eve? Because I have plans for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And how much are we going to move this to we're celebrating Christmas on December the 1st? There's only so much you can move. And then it gets to the point that you have to say, you know what? I am a culture maker. I refuse to let the culture of this church change. And whether it's just me and Pastor Jay and my family, we will be here Christmas Eve every year just thanking God for his coming and his arrival. Look at all the pictures. We got to take these down. Right? Just thanking him for that. Because you know what? If you don't hold in honor the days that are important to your faith, no one else will. And your family knows. Trust me, they know that you're a believer and they know the days that are important to your faith. And if you can't tell your family, let's go to God's house. How, how, how long was our Christmas Eve service this year? Not, not, even, not even an hour and a half. Not even an hour and 15 it was a total of an hour and 10 minutes. I looked at the clock because I knew I was going to preach this message. 70 minutes was our Christmas Eve service. And who was here? Wasn't it beautiful? We had a, I think it was the best Christmas Eve service we had ever. It was beautiful. It was, it was beautifully done. Thanks to Pastor Gabe, the committee that worked with him, the sound, the media, everybody up there. They did a beautiful job. Jonathan who hosted this year's uh, uh, lesson on, on the birth of Christ. Thank you, Jonathan, and the children from his class. Let me tell you, it was a beautiful Christmas Eve. You couldn't give God on his day 70 minutes of your time. I'm not a visiting evangelist. I'm a pastor of this house. Okay? A visiting, a visiting evangelist says something and runs. No, I'm going to say something I'm going to stand here. All right? 70 minutes of your time on his day. It's like it's my birthday, but uh, I, it's my birthday, but you know what? I got to do everything else everybody wants on my birthday, and nobody celebrates me on my birthday. See? That's what it's like. And so those are important, what I call high holidays of the Christian faith is Good Friday, Easter, Resurrection. Don't stay home to cook a ham for nobody. And I know that's not correct English, but that's okay. It fits the day. Don't stay home to cook a ham for anyone. That ham will be sitting there waiting for you when you get back. Nothing says that you will not digest your food correctly if you don't eat at 12 o'clock. Nothing says that if you don't have your dinner by 7 p.m., you're not. No, it's a holiday. And let's be real, on these holidays, nobody goes to sleep before 12, 12 midnight if you're celebrating. Ain't that true? Ain't that true? People don't go to sleep at 8 o'clock in the night on a Christmas Eve. No, they don't. And so let's start putting into perspective, oh, God, I give you everything. I surrender everything to you. You're my life. You're everything to me, God. But on these days, it's my days. So I'm sorry, but I can't give you 60 minutes. I can't give you 70 minutes. This is, this is what we've come to. See? Deviating from the culture. And like Paul said, the traditions as he delivered it to them. These are traditions that are meant to keep us very aware 
of God, his sacrifice, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, what about Thanksgiving? Oh, that, that's even better. We don't show up because we got a turkey in the oven. We're worrying about the turkey. Ain't that so? We're worrying about the turkey. The turkey don't need you to worry about it. It's already dead. It's, it's dead. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to bring it back to life. Right? And we're worrying about the turkey. When the first thing we should be thinking of, God, let me give you my first fruits of this day. Let me, before I, I celebrate with my family, my friends, and everybody, let me just be thankful to you for this day. Thank you, Lord. How, how long is our Thanksgiving uh, uh, service in the morning? I think this year was like an hour, an hour and a half. And what do we do in that service? People come up and testify and give thanks for so many things that he's done throughout the year. That's a wonderful time. Giving thanks to God. Because it's about him. Giving thanks. New Year's, New Year's Eve. Giving God the last and the first. God, I'm going to give you the last moments of the day and I'm going to give you the, uh, the, the first of the year. So there's, there's a purpose behind some of these traditions. It's just not that we want another day to celebrate something. We have enough of those. We have enough of days that are our days. You know, your picnic, your birthday, your anniversary, right? We have, we have enough of those. Can we not be faithful to God in the little? If we could be faithful to him in the little, he's going to put, put us in the much. But there is an evangelistic point to what we do. And that evangelistic point is that I'm telling my friends, I'm telling my, my family, I'm telling my neighbors, this is who I am. I don't just speak it on Sundays, but I walk the walk. And I know that as I'm saying this, I know as I know as I know that the word is true. Jeremiah 6 tells me that there's people that are going to say, I don't want to listen and I don't want to walk. Go read it. Jeremiah chapter 6. Don't be one of those people. But the Bible is true. It says that there are going to be people that you're going to tell them, listen, listen to me and walk this way. I've set watchmen before you. Walk this way. And these people are going to say, nope, I won't walk. And there are going to be people that, that, God, uh, that God has set before you so you could hear the truth and the word of God. And you're going to say, nope, I don't want to listen. So I know that there's those people. It hurts my heart. Because what Pastor Jay and I want more than anything is to teach you to walk in God's path. See? And so as culture makers, Pastor Jay and I, as the visionaries of this house, we need to speak truth to you. And we need to tell you, reconsider these things and don't be the people of Jeremiah chapter 6. Reconsider these things and do something different for 2018. Don't only say you're a Christian, walk the walk. Walk it. Your celebration is going to wait an hour later. Your dinner is going to wait an hour later. You know, I always have this thing. I have family, just like you, I have family members that don't uh, serve the Lord. And my thing with my family was always, listen, I love you. I want you to come. But listen. During this time and this time, I'm at church. You're more than welcome to come with me. Oh, you don't want to come? Well, then come back when I'm here. Come back when I'm here. But I have to give to God what is his due. And that's what it is to be a culture maker. Someone that's not afraid to take a stand. Someone who's not afraid to enhance what God is already doing in your life. Enhance it. Do something different. Don't make it worse, make it better. All right? Enhance it. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm going to leave you with this. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. Every time in the gospel you saw Jesus, he was at the temple when he was supposed to be there. Doing what he was, if he was supposed to be praying, that's what he was doing. Doing what he was supposed to do at the moment that it needed to be done. And that's what we have to be. Just enhancing and developing and growing our faith and our relationship with God. Okay? Let us bow our heads. Let us pray. Father, we are just thankful this morning for your presence. We're thankful, Lord, that we have felt you in this house, that you've, you've touched our hearts, Lord, and you've encouraged us and, and given us strength in the days to come. Father, as, as we've been here together, just hearing your word, Lord, let it take root in our hearts. Let it be planted on fertile ground. Let us allow you, O oh Lord, to change and transform us. Give us a mindset that is your mindset. Give us your heart, O oh Lord. Let us be able to follow your example, Lord. Let us be imitators of you as you were, O oh Lord. Paul said, as I am of God. So, Lord, let us be imitators of good things. Let us be imitators of our brothers and our sisters who continue to, to move forward, Lord. And, and let us connect ourselves to people that could help us grow and not people that will go with our fleshly ideas and our fleshly wants and woes. Lord, let, I pray that we connect ourselves to people that are as hungry as we are for you. We pray for all these things, O oh Lord, in Jesus' holy name and God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.